Chapter thirty nine of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty nine. Let some of the guard be ready. Cran, for me? Must I go like a traitor then? Shakespeare. And where was Osborne Darnley all this while? Wait a little, dearly beloved, and you shall hear more. It was not yet five o'clock in the morning, and a sweet morning it was. The sun had just risen, and, spreading all over the eastern sky, there was that soft, lustrous tint of early light that surely ought to be called hope-colour. It promises so many bright moments for the coming day. It was not yet five o'clock in the morning, when the western sally-port of the castle of Ardre was opened by a little page not higher than my thumb, as the old story-book goes, who looked cautiously about, first to the right and then to the left, to see if any one was abroad and stirring, but the only person who had risen was the matutinal sun, so that the page could see nothing but the blue sky, and the green fields, and the grey stone wards of the castle, whose great age, like the antiquity of a beggar's coat, had plastered them all over with patches of green and yellow lichens. Having looked to his heart's content, he next listened, but no sound could he hear save the light singing of the lark and the loud snoring of the sentinel on the neighbouring bastion, who, with head propped on his halbert, kept nothing but silent watch, while the vigilant sun, looking over the wall, spied out all the weaknesses of the place, and now, having listened as well as looked, the boy withdrew once more within the walls. He left, however, the door open, and in a few minutes two horsemen rode forth, each wrapped up in a large Spanish cloak, with a chaperone, as Florange calls it, or, in other words, an immense hood, which covered the whole head, and disguised the person completely. As soon as they were fairly out, the page who had accompanied them so far returned and closed the sally-port, and the two travellers cantered lightly over the green to a little wood that lay before the castle. When they were fully concealed by the trees among which they wound along, following the sinuosities of a little sandy road, wherein two, but only two, might ride abreast, they both, as by common consent, threw back their hoods, and letting their cloaks fall upon their horses' croppers, discovered the two powerful forms of the good knight Osborne Lord Darnley, and Francis I, King of France. "'Well, my friend and my deliverer,' said the king as they rode on, "'twill go hard, but I will restore you to your king's favour, and even should he remain inexorable, which I will not believe, you must make France your country. We will try to win your fair Constance for you from that suspicious cardinal, of which fear not, for I know a certain way to gain him to anything. And then I see no cause why, in so fair a land as France, and favoured by her king, you may not be as happy as in that little sea-bound spot called England." Before proceeding farther, however, it may be necessary to say a few words concerning the events which had occurred since the knight's courage and skill had saved the king's life from Schoenvelt and his adventurers. One may well imagine what anxiety had reigned amongst the monarch's followers on the forest near Lille, where they found that Francis, after having separated from their party, did not rejoin them on the track appointed for the hunt. Such occurrences, however, having several times happened before, and the king having always returned in safety, they concluded that he and Count William of Furstenberg must have taken the other road to Ayr, 
and that they would find him there on their arrival when they did reach that town their inquiries immediately discovered that the king was missing the news spread rapidly to the whole court and soon reached the ears of his mother the duchess of Agoulême, who became almost frantic on hearing it giving him up for lost from that moment as she had good reasons to believe that count william entertained designs against his life her active spirit it was that first discovered the treachery of the burgundian which she had instantly communicated to the king but the generous mind of francis refused all credit to the news and he continued his confidence towards furstenberg without the slightest alteration till at length more certain proofs of his designs were obtained which induced the monarch to act with that fearless magnanimity which we have seen him display towards his treacherous favourite in the forest of lille immediately that the king's absence was known bands of horsemen were sent out in various directions to obtain news of him but in vain convinced by the account of the hunters that he had quitted the wood and that if he were therein they could not find him by night they searched in every other place than that in which they were likely to be successful so that the whole night that francis spent sleeping tranquilly in the charbonnier's cottage his guards were out towards pernay fruges and st paul searching for him without success when morning came however fresh parties were sent off to examine every part of the forest and it was one of these that came up to the spot not long after the defeat of schoenvelt and his companions the joy occasioned by the king's safe return was not a little heightened by the danger he had undergone and every one to whom his life was precious contended who should do most honour to his gallant deliverer francis himself knew not what recompense to offer sir osborne for the signal service he had rendered him and with the delicacy of a truly generous mind he exacted from him a particular account of his whole life that he might adapt the gift or honour he wished to confer exactly to the situation of the knight darnley understood the motive of the noble-hearted monarch and told him all without reserve and francis now furnished with the best means of showing his gratitude resolved not to lose the opportunity thus for the few days that preceded the meeting between guines and Ardre, the king highly distinguished the knight making him many magnificent presents called a chapter of the order of st michael and had him installed in form but knowing the jealous nature of his own nobles he offered him no employment in his service and even when the constable de bourbon who knew and appreciated darnley's military talents proposed to the king to give him a company of men-at-arms as a reward for the great service he had rendered to the whole nation francis negatived it at once saying openly that lord darnley was but a visitor at the court of france having premised thus much we will now take up the travellers again at the moment of their entering into the woods near ardre through which they passed conversing over the various circumstances of sir osborne's situation it is strange said francis as the knight repeated the manner of his dismissal from the english court i do not comprehend it it is impossible that your going there under a feigned name to win king henry's favour should be construed as a crime and made matter of such strong accusation against you after musing for a moment he proceeded do not think i would imply good knight that you could be really guilty of any higher offence against your king but be you sure something has been laid to your charge more than you imagine 
on my honour as a knight replied darnley i have accused myself to your highness of the worst crimes upon my conscience as if your grace were my confessor though i will own that it appears to me also most strange and inexplicable i have heard indeed that the lord cardinal never suffers any one to be too near the king's regard and that if he sees any especial favour shown he is sure to find some accusation against his object but i can hardly believe that so great a man would debase himself to be a false accuser i know not i know not answered francis quickly there is no one so jealous as a favourite and what will not jealousy do my diadem against the spanish crown he continued laughingly referring to his contention with the emperor charles henry of england knows you are under no other name than that of sir osborne maurice however i will be polite and know the whole before i speak do you put your honour in my hands and will you abide by what i shall undertake for you most willingly your highness replied the knight whatever you say for me that will i maintain on horseback or on foot with sword or lance as long as my life do hold thus conversing they rode on following the windings of the woody lane in which they were till the forest skirting on to the north-west of Ardres, opened out before the plain of guines as soon as the castle and town were in sight the french monarch put his horse into a quick pace saying with a smile to sir osborne your prudent wolsey and my good brother henry will be much surprised to see me in their castle alone after all their grave precautions by heaven did kingly dignity imply suspicion of all the world like theirs i would throw away my crown and feed my mother's sheep the night after the first meeting of the kings henry had retired to sleep in the fortress rather than in his palace without the walls part of which comprising his private apartments had been found insecure from the hurry in which it had been built of this circumstance the king of france had been informed by some of his court who had passed their evening at guines and it was therefore to the castle that he turned his reign passing amidst the tents in most of which somnus still held undisturbed dominion francis and sir osborne galloped up to the drawbridge on which an early party of the guard were sunning themselves in the morning light some looking idly over into the moat some gazing with half-closed eyes towards the sky some playing at an antique and classical game with mutton bones while the captain stood by the portcullis rubbing his hands and enjoying the sweetness of the morning no sooner did francis perceive them than drawing his sword he galloped in amongst them crying rendezvous messieurs rendezvous la place est à moi at first the archers scattered back confused and some had their hands on their short swords but several who had seen the king the day before almost instantly recognized him and the cry became general of the king of france the king of france in the meantime francis rode up to the captain and putting his sword's point to the officer's throat yield cried he rescue or no rescue or you are a dead man i yield i yield my lord cried the captain entering into the king's humour and bending his knee rescue or no rescue i yield myself your grace's prisoner a castle soon taken cried francis turning to sir osborne now added he to the officer since the place is mine lead me to the chamber of my good brother the king of england his grace is at present asleep replied the captain hesitating 
if your highness will repose yourself in the great hall he shall be informed instantly of your presence no no cried the king show me to his chamber nothing will serve me but that i will sound his reveille myself come darnley and springing from his horse he followed the officer who now forced to obey led him into the castle and up the grand staircase towards the king's bedchamber all was silence as they went henry and the whole court had revelled late the night before so that few even of the serving-men had thought fit to quit their chuckle-beds so early in the morning a single page however was to be seen as they entered a long corridor which took up one whole side of the large square tower in the centre of the castle he was standing before a door at the farther extremity and to him the captain pointed the king's ante-room your highness is where you see that page said he and let me beg your gracious forgiveness if i leave you here for indeed i dare conduct you no farther go go cried the king good-humouredly i will find it now myself you darnley stay here i doubt not soon to send for you with good news with his sword still drawn in his hand the king now advanced to the page who seeing a stranger come forward with so menacing an air might have entertained some fears had he not beheld the captain of the guard conduct him thither not at all knowing the person of francis however as he had not been present at the meeting of the kings he closed the door to the ante-room which had before been open behind him and placing himself in the way prepared to oppose the entrance of any one which is the chamber of my brother the king of england demanded francis as he came up but the page not understanding a word of french only shook his head keeping his back at the same time firmly against the door thinking that it was some wild french lord who knew not what was due to royalty it is the king of france said sir osborne advancing as he beheld the page's embarrassment let him pass it is the king of france the page stared and hesitated but francis taking him by the shoulder twisted him round as he had been a child and opening the door passed in the page immediately closed it again putting himself before the knight whose face he now remembered i must not let your worship in said he thinking sir osborne wished to follow the monarch the king of france of course i dared not stop but it is as much as my life is worth to suffer any one else to pass i seek not to enter good master snell said the knight unless his grace sends for me i shall not intrude myself on his royal presence this said with busy thoughts he began to walk up and down the gallery and the page presently after retiring into the antechamber left him for the first time to his own contemplations much subject had the knight for thought though it was of that nature that profited not for little signified it as it seemed how much soever he took counsel with himself his fate was in the hands of others and beyond his power to influence or determine he could not help musing however over all the turns which his fortune had taken within the brief space of the last three months and strangely mingled were his sensations on finding himself at the end of the review standing there once more within the precincts of the court of england from which he had been driven hardly fifteen days before a thousand collateral ideas also presented themselves to his mind suggesting a thousand doubts and fears for those he loved best what had become of constance de grey he asked himself 
and though never had her image for one moment left his mind in his wanderings though it had been his companion in the journey his solace in his waking hours his dream by night and his object in every thought and hope still there was something in being amongst those objects and near those beings amidst whom he had been accustomed to see her that rendered his anxiety about her more impatient and he would have given no small sum for the presence of one of the newsmongers of the court those empty idle beings always to be found near the presence of princes who like scavengers carts make themselves the common receptacles for all the drift of the palace and hurrying on from one to another at once receive and spatter forth the rakings of all kennels as they go along time ever long to those who wait seemed doubly long to sir osborne to whom so much was in suspense and so little bustle and activity did there seem in the castle that he began to fancy its denizens must have had their eyes touched with hermes's wand to make them sleep so soundly he walked up and down the corridor he gazed out of the window into the courtyard he listened for every opening door but it was all in vain no one came could francis have forgotten him he asked himself at last and then he thought how quickly from the light memories of the great pass away the sorrows or the welfare of their fellow-creatures how hardly they can remember and how happily they can forget but no he would not believe it if ever man was renowned for that best and rarest quality of a great man a heedful remembrance of those who served him a thoughtful care of those he esteemed it was francis of france and darnley would not believe that in his case he had forgotten still no one came though the various noises and the bustle he began to hear in distant parts of the building announced that the world was more awake than when he arrived yet the corridor in which he was seemed more deserted than ever at first it was nearly vacant a few listless soldiers being its only occupants but soon there was opened on the other side a door which communicated with a sort of barrack situated near the chapel in the inner ballium and from this proceeded a troop of soldiers and officers at arms with one or two persons mingled amongst them that sir osborne imagined to be prisoners the height at which he was placed above them prevented his perceiving whether this was certainly the case or seeing their faces for all that he could discern was the foreshortened figures of the soldiers and sergeants-at-arms distinguished from the others by their official habiliments and passing along surrounded by the rest some persons in darker attire round whom the guard appeared to keep with vigilant care an instant brought them to the archway just beneath the spot where he stood and they were then lost to sight the castle clock struck seven but so slowly did the hammer fall upon the bell he thought it would never have done he now heard a sound of much speaking not far off and thought that surely it was francis taking leave of the king of england but suddenly it ceased and all was again silence taking patience to his aid he recommenced his perambulations and for another quarter of an hour walked up and down the corridor hearing still as he passed the door of the ante-room a low and indistinct murmuring which might be either the page speaking in a subdued tone to some person therein or some other voices conversing much more loudly in the chamber beyond the knight's feelings were wound up in the highest pitch of impatience when suddenly a deep groan and then a heavy fall met his ear he paused 
listened, and could plainly distinguish a door within open, and various voices speaking quick and high, some in French, some in English, but among them was to be heard distinctly the tongue of Henry and that of Francis, though what they said was not sufficiently audible to be comprehended. His curiosity, as may be conceived, was not a little excited, but satisfied of the safety of the two kings, and fearful of being suspected of eavesdropping if any one came forth, he once more crossed his arms upon his breast, and began pacing backwards and forwards as before. A few minutes more elapsed in silence, but at length, when he was at the farther extremity of the corridor, he heard the door of the antechamber open, and, turning round, perceived a sergeant-at-arms, followed by four halberdiers, come forth from within and advance towards him. Sir Osborne turned and met them, when the guard drew up across the passage, and the officer stepped forward. "'Sir Osborne Darnley,' said he, commonly called Lord Darnley, "'I arrest you for high treason in the name of Henry the Eighth, King of England and France, and Lord of Ireland, and charge you to surrender to his warrant.' the astonishment of sir osborne may more easily be conceived than described the first appearance of the halberdiers had struck him as strange and their drawing up across his path might have been some warning but still he was not at all prepared trusting to the protection of the french king who had virtually rendered himself responsible for his safety he had never dreamed of danger and for a moment or two he stood in silent surprise till the sergeant demanded do you surrender my lord of course of course replied the knight though i will own that this has fallen upon me unexpectedly prithee good sergeant if thou knowest tell me how this has come about for to me it is inexplicable in truth my lord i know nothing replied the officer though i believe that the whole arose from something that happened this morning in his grace's bedchamber i was sent for by the back staircase and received orders to attach you here it is an unpleasant duty my lord but one which we are too often called to perform i can therefore but beg your forgiveness and say that you must come with me sir osborne followed in silence meditating more than ever over his strange fate his hopes had again been buoyed up again to be cast down in a more cruel manner than before there was not now a shade of doubt left whatever he was accused of was aimed at him under his real name and it was evident from the unremitted persecution which he suffered that wolsey or whosoever it was that thus pursued him was resolved on accomplishing his destruction by all or any means that wolsey was the originator of the whole he could not doubt and the virulence of his jealousy was too well known to hope that justice or clemency would be shown where his enmity had been incurred however thought the knight at last i can but die i have fronted death a hundred times in the battlefield and i will not shrink from him now but to die as a traitor was bitter he who had never been aught but loyal and true yet still his conscious innocence he thought would rob the block and axe of their worst horror the proud knowledge that he had acted well in every relationship of life to his king to his country to those he loved then came the thought of constance de grey in all her summer beauty and all her gentle loveliness and all her sweet smiles was he never to see them again to be cut off from all those kind sympathies he had felt to go down into the cold dark grave where they could reach him never more 
it was too much while these thoughts were busy in his bosom the sergeant-at-arms led him down the great staircase and across the hall on the ground floor of the castle then opening a door to the right he entered into a long narrow passage but scantily lighted that terminated in another spiral staircase down which one of the soldiers who had procured a lamp in the hall proceeded first to light them sir osborne followed in silence though his heart somewhat burned at the idea of being committed to a dungeon arrived at the bottom of the steps several doors presented themselves and seeing the sergeant examining a large bunch of keys with whose various marks he did not seem very well acquainted the knight could not refrain from demanding if it were by the king's command that he was about to give him such a lodging no my lord replied the sergeant the king did not direct me to place you in a dungeon but i must secure your lordship's person till such time as the horses are ready to convey you to calais and every other place in the castle but that where i am going to put you is full well sir replied the knight only beware of what treatment you do show me lest you may be sorry for it hereafter indeed my lord answered the man with a good-natured smile rarely met with on the faces of his brethren i should be very sorry to make your lordship any way uncomfortable and if you will give me your word of honour as a knight neither to escape nor to make any attempt to escape while you are there i will lock you up in the chapel of the new palace which is empty enough god knows and for half an hour you will be as well there as anywhere else better than in a dungeon certainly the knight readily gave his promise and the sergeant after examining the keys again without better success than before began to try them one after another upon a small iron door in the wall saying that they could get out that way to the chapel one of them at length fitted the lock and the two enormous bolts and an iron bar being removed the door was swung back giving egress from the body of the fortress into a long lightsome passage where the full sun shone through a long row of windows on each side while the gilded pillars and the enamelled ornaments round the windows the rich arras hanging between them and the fine carpet spread over the floor formed a strange and magical contrast with the place they had just quitted with its rough damp stone walls its dark and gloomy passages and the massy rudeness of all its features this is the passage made for his grace between the palace and the castle said the sergeant-at-arms let us haste on my lord for fear he should chance to come along it proceeding onwards catching every now and then a glance at the gay scene of tents without as they passed the different windows the officer conducted his prisoner to the end of the passage where they found a door on either hand and opening that to the left he ushered the knight into the beautiful little building that had been constructed as a temporary chapel for the court while inhabiting the palace before guine i know my lord said the officer that i may trust to your knightly word and promise not to make any attempt to escape for i must not even leave a guard at the door lest his grace the king should pass and find that i have put you here which might move his anger i therefore leave you for a while reposing full confidence in your honour and will take care to have the horses prepared and be back again before the hour of mass thus saying he ascertained that the other door was fastened and left sir osborne in the chapel taking heed notwithstanding his professions of reliance to turn the key upon him as he went out 
it matters little whether it be a palace or a dungeon wherein he passes the few last hours of life to the prisoner condemned to die unless he possesses one of those happy spirits that can by the aid of external objects abstract their thoughts from all that is painful in their fate if he do indeed the things around may give him some relief so however could not darnley and in point of any mental ease he might just as well have been in the lowest dungeon of the castle as in the splendid oratory where he now was yet feeling how fruitless was the contemplation of his situation how little but pain he could derive from thought and how unnerving to all his energies was the memory of constance de grey under the unhappy circumstances of the present he strove not to think and gazed around him to divert his mind from his wayward fortunes by occupying it with the glittering things around indeed as far as splendour went that chapel might have vied with anything that ever was devised in length it was about fifty feet and though built of wood its architecture was in that style which we are accustomed to call gothic nothing however of the mere walls appeared for from the roof to the ground it was hung with cloth of gold over which fell various festoons of silk breaking the straight lines of the hangings to the right and left sir osborne remarked two magnificent closets appropriated as he supposed to the use of the king and queen where the same costly stuff that lined the rest of the building was further enriched by a thick embroidery of precious stones which also had its particular altar loaded besides the pits the crucifix and the candlesticks with twelve large images of gold and a crowd of other ornaments sir osborne advanced and fixed his eyes upon all the splendid things that were there called in to give pomp and majesty to the worship of the most high but he felt more strongly than ever at that moment how it was all in vain and that the small calm tabernacle of the heart is that wherein man may offer up the fittest prayer to his maker kneeling however on the step of the altar he addressed his petitions to heaven he would not pray to be delivered from danger for that he thought cowardly but he prayed that god would establish his innocence and his honour that god would protect and bless those that he loved and if it were the almighty's will he should fall before his enemies that god would be a support to his father and a shield to constance de grey then rising from his knee darnley found that his heart was lightened and that he could look upon his future fate with far more calmness than before at that moment the sound of trumpets and clarions met his ear from a distance gradually it swelled nearer and more near with gay and martial tones and approached close to where he was while shouts and acclamations and loud and laughing voices mingled with the music strangely at discord with all that was passing in his heart presently it grew fainter and then ceased though still he thought he could hear the roar of the distant multitude and now and then a shout but in a few minutes these also ceased and crossing his arms upon his breast he waited till the sergeant-at-arms should come to convey him to calais to prison perhaps ultimately to death in a few minutes some distant steps were heard they came nearer nearer still the key was turned in the lock and the door opened End of chapter 39